Blog Talk Radio. My cue. Welcome, everyone. Live from San Diego, California. Welcome to This Week in Accountable Care. I am your host, Greg Masters. And our show is brought to you by Zanate Media, the publishers of ACOWatch.com, a go-to resource monitoring the birth of the accountable care industry. We're broadcasting on Tuesday, September the 18th, 2012, and may I say that I am stoked, as we say here in San Diego, by the standing and the CV of the man joining me today. He is an innovator and thought leader with an impressive history of introducing and driving payer and provider-side change in competitive healthcare markets. His resume is a literal deep dive into the critical paths informed folk arguably associate with creative change in the healthcare delivery and finance space. Charles E. Saunders, MD, is president for strategic diversification at Aetna, where his responsibilities include the incubation, launch, and oversight of non-insurance healthcare businesses that build on Aetna's core strengths and address fundamental needs in healthcare. His broad his experience spans healthcare business operations and clinical care in the U.S. and abroad. Before joining Aetna, Dr. Saunders was an executive in residence with the global private equity firm of Warburg Pincus, where he advised the firm on healthcare services and information technology investments. Prior to Warburg Pincus, he served as chairman and CEO of Broadlane, a technology-enabled hospital supply chain, group purchasing, and clinical workforce management company. Dr. Saunders also served as the president of Healthcare Global Industry Solutions for Electronic Data Systems, now part of HP, chief medical officer of Healthion and WebMD since their early days as a startup, and was a principal with the management consulting firm of A.T. Kearney, focusing on payers and healthcare systems. As a provider, Dr. Saunders held numerous leadership positions in healthcare delivery systems, including roles as an emergency department director, EMS medical director, and executive director of a physician hospital organization where he focused on implementing hospital physician integration, managed care and capitation. Dr. Saunders has served as on the faculties of the University of California, San Francisco, Vanderbilt, and the University of Colorado as a practitioner, teacher, and researcher. So I assume that we have Dr. Saunders on the line here. Is that correct? Let's see now. Dr. Saunders, are you with us? Yes, I'm here, Greg. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Okay, glad you can make it. I don't know if you heard that that background, but uh, I was uh, spewing out the how impressed I am with uh, with your travels through the healthcare space. Well, thank you. It's a, <clears throat> a generous review. Thanks. Well, thanks. And uh, 
So I was sharing with Brian before we went on the air. I I I had uh, was trying to catch you at the the WLSA meeting when you gave your presentation. So let me let me give a little summary uh, of that and then some context, and then we'll kick it over for you for uh, uh, for your take. Um, my my first opportunity to hear you was uh, during your keynote at the Wireless Life Sciences uh, Convergence Summit in San Diego in May. And during your talk, you quoted some numbers which literally blew me away. Most notably was the backlog of health system interest in working with Aetna in the accountable care or patient-centered medical home domain. Fortunately, I was recording your remarks, so I can quote your exact words within the ACO-PCMH narrative. While itemizing Aetna's core competencies and preferred market engagement, you track back to Medicare Advantage, derivative Medicaid PCMH interests, the growth of Aetna-only ACOs and multi-payer ACO and PCMH initiatives, and then the formation of the Accountable Care Solutions Group. And you conclude with, and we have a pipeline of about 180 health systems. Again, this was back in May. So I was stunned by your remarks, in part because we are still laboring somewhat under a malaise that ACOs are, quote, destined to fail, their HMO light nature just didn't warrant the assumption of risk, uh, startup costs were too high, risk-reward relationship was inadequate to stimulate engagement, et cetera. So your talk peeled back the curtain somewhat and gave us uh, first-person insight as to the true market demand for these innovative financing and delivery system vehicles. So let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit more about you, your mission in Aetna, and what are some of the components inside of the diversification group at Aetna. Okay, well, certainly, Greg, thanks. Um, I head up uh, uh, the Emerging Businesses Group, um, which we formerly call Strategic Diversification, which is the effort by uh, Aetna to uh, both create and acquire businesses that are non-insurance businesses that uh, catalyze the transformation of healthcare, and the goal really is to um, to partner with providers and engage consumers um, to uh, to make healthcare better, more affordable, more satisfying, and just deliver more value. I think we we realize that there is a transformation underway in the U.S. where where risk is shifting to providers, and there's a greater consumer interest and focus on. Um, the user experience, transmer- transparency, affordability, and quality, and that um, the health insurers uh, need to you know, leverage the tremendous assets and information and capabilities they have to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And, and um, Mark Bertolini has been a visionary and way up out of front of the, in front of this, and I think the, the company has really uh, made an investment in to try and uh, create uh, new business models that will help catalyze this transformation. So that's my group. And uh, we both have an incubator function where we we uh, create startup uh, companies, and uh, we also have uh, an M&A component where we identify growing companies that are creating novel solutions for healthcare, uh, with a focus on uh, on on providers, consumers, and uh, and uh, HIT. So that's what we're about. Uh, we started this uh, in uh, uh, February of 2011. Uh, we're up to about nine companies now. Uh, two of those had been previously acquired. One of those is Medisti, which is the leading health information exchange company in the U.S. Uh, another one is Active Health, which uh, was acquired in 2005, which um, I believe to be the, the leading uh, clinical uh, intelligence and uh, disease care management uh, solution in the U.S. And, uh, and then we've uh, proceeded to start the Accountable Care Solutions 
um, entity that was uh, started in March 2011, and uh, we acquired a company called iTriage, which is a patient engagement mobile solution that provides access navigation and decision support for consumers broadly to 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 move from symptom to provider and uh, and then we've um, been in the process of building a you know half a dozen or more other companies that that add value to different components of the healthcare system so we've been pretty busy for the last year and a half and um, but i think that uh, your interest in the accountable care and pcmh solutions really uh, builds off of the growing experience that I had talked about at Wireless, uh, which is now to date um, numbers more than about 70 patient-centered medical home-like entities, the majority around uh, Medicare Advantage, but uh, a growing number with Medicaid and, and commercial instances. And we're um, heading down a path to uh, roll out a new business approach to this that will provide uh, a lot more scale behind this so they can be implemented more quickly and, and uh, easily and uh, with a very robust engagement of the individual and the member. So we're very, very excited about that. In fact, we just published a paper in uh, in Health Affairs in the September issue where we reported on our um, our experience in terms of cost, quality, and outcomes uh, with um, one of our earliest ones that was done up in New England that showed a very significant reduction in the cost of care uh, and improvement in things like uh, a reduction in, in days per thousand and, uh, and uh, readmissions uh, while improving uh, quality scores. So we've had a growing experience uh, with that, and uh, and then we, we saw a shift in the market um, going from maybe two years ago, an interest in, uh, in say, primary care-oriented patient-centered medical homes to now institutional involvement. So facilities and, and IDNs starting to weigh in and, and, and get involved and form the Accountable Care Solutions Group really around that, that movement to, um, to actually uh, implement uh, and commercialize uh, accountable care solutions, not just limited to the the Medicare definition of it for for Medicare fee for service, but more broadly uh, addressing uh, the paradigm of accountable care, which is really uh, provider organizations, um, both facilities and physicians, taking holistic responsibility for a population of patients and managing the um, the the total cost and quality and satisfaction of that patient, focusing on the continuum of their care, uh, not only on for episodes of care, but also in the white space between visits, their health and wellness, and you know total well-being, and then rewarding them financially um, based on on uh, uh, quality co- costs and outcomes that really span the continuum of care, rather than just simply units of service. So it was that paradigm that we were really after, and um, and seeing how we could apply it not just to Medicare, but to every patient population that a delivery system might might take care of uh, so that they create one infrastructure and then they can use that infrastructure in a completely payer-neutral way uh, for for every patient population, whether it's Medicare, fee-for-service, Medicare Advantage, Medicaid, uh, their own employees, uh, their commercial populations. And then what's most significant about what we've been doing is to, to allow them to actually go directly to employers with their own ACO product you know, branded to the delivery system, and eventually direct, directly to, to the exchange exchanges. This is a very disruptive approach, and I think it's important for delivery systems because if the end game of an ACO is successful, you know, it will empty out beds. It will increase capacity. And uh, what the delivery system will look for is the ability then to take care of a larger po- patient population. And then they can do that by, by taking their, 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 their branded ACO directly to market. 
and this provides, I think, a win for everybody. It's, it provides a lower cost of care, a higher quality care, and it, it also brings a, um, you know, a branded group of doctors and uh, hospitals that everybody knows uh, directly to the marketplace. So this is a, a, you know, a, a more extensive uh, and extensible vision for the evolution of accountable care beyond which was just uh, codified in Medicare fee-for-service, but we've had a great deal of success with that. And uh, to date, we've prob- we're probably involved in, in fairly deep implementation of about uh, one to two dozen uh, large um, uh, institutional uh, multi-payer ACOs around the country. Some of them have been publicly announced. You know about the Banner relationship. Uh, I know there's another one. We've done Carillion uh, is another, um, and another, uh, an- another group will be announced soon and that we are engaged in active conversations with um, close to 200 health systems around the country that have aspirations for making this transition to accountable care and uh, under various types of models and you know the realities of their own geographies. So I'll pause so, there. That was, that was fascinating. So And a lot of information. That's what struck me about San Diego as you were on stage and you were just uh, putting out just incredible information. And uh, I was uh, fortunate to be recording it, but I was trying to jot down notes as well because not just the growth and demand for accountable care support was uh, was notable, but also the, some of the results that you uh, you were reporting, which were rather uh, w- which argued against some of the the panning that's been going on about accountable care, you know, too light, not enough incentives, so forth, to really make a difference. But some of the results that you're reporting were rather significant. So it looks like what you're doing over in the diversification side is basically building this ecosystem to perhaps enable create put all the levers out there that had they been available when Healthion launched <laughs> mm-hmm. way back then uh, we might have had they might have had a, actually a shot of uh, of uh, pulling off their vision is that a, is that a fair statement yeah you know i was uh, fortunate to um, be at a point in time in history where i got to participate in um, in the 1.0 version of affordable care which is managed care and then the 2.0 version which is much more enlightened and uh, and has uh, learned from you know from the 90s. So during the 90s, we we had um, provider organizations um, uh, pursuing a concept that had conceptual merit to it uh, for aligned incentives, but without the tools to really deliver it. And also, oftentimes, contracting out of fear that the payer was going to divide and conquer, and then if they didn't contract, that their competitor would get it. And they didn't really have the technology infrastructure to really understand and manage risk. Uh, and the financial risk, um, uh, rewards didn't provide enough profitability so that they could manage through that transition. And, and then at, at the same time, uh, Medicare was not involved. They weren't in the game. And uh, patients were not robustly engaged in this. And uh, uh, so there was a backlash. You know, if It seemed like restriction of choice. So we've been there, and we, we learned all of that. And there was a chance to take some of the best that was there and combine it with technology tools that at that time didn't exist. We we started Healthion with the goal of applying to the Internet to, to to the workflows in healthcare, but it was a time when when very few physicians actually had uh, ban- high bandwidth connections, if any at all, to the Internet. And so we were educating and we were building as much as we were, you know, we were, we were offering uh, solutions. Now, 15 years later, uh, the world is different. The Internet's part of the fabric of the way that we do business. High bandwidth um, um, connections have are widely distributed. 
the world has gone digital in healthcare thanks to the era stimulus funding, and there's a transformation of the way that physicians practice that's underway to electronic healthcare records. And we have robust health information exchanges. So if you can think of Healthion 1.0, Medisti now is is kind of the realized for, uh, a vision for, for what um, what was possible there, where they have now, they're at about 27% of all the health information exchanges in the United States are Medisti. They connect over almost 1,100 hospitals, and in one way or another, 260,000 physicians, and and they have you know enormous number of uh, clinical transactions rolling through their 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 pipes. So, so having this infrastructure of connectivity that actually allows data to flow and actually involves real work and coordination of care to occur in a healthcare ecosystem was a missing element, and now we have that. And then the next layer that was missing was clinical intelligence. You know. You need to, on top of that clinical dial tone, you need to have some kind of intelligence that can actually make sense of what's going on with both the population and with an individual, and then rec- recommend uh, in it, uh, interventions that are going to reduce the cost of care and improve quality. And then at the same time, then uh, engage uh, uh, providers to do care management, not just episode uh, management, but care management across the continuum. And there are now robust services and programs available for that. So what we're in a position to do and what we've been doing is to provide a fully integrated stack of all these capabilities as a turnkey solution for accountable care that can be flexibly applied to to every patient population. So, yes, I think we have the opportunity to learn from the 90s. I think now we have not only the um, uh, uh, robust technology that we can we can apply to this, but we also have the enabling legislation um, that's come out of the federal government and we have Medicare that is now uh, weighing in a, as part of the solution, uh, which is, provides a you know huge um, you know incentive for health systems to get on the bandwagon. And and that's perhaps the 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 macro carrot here is that while uh, these institutions are reengineering and, and reinventing themselves, if if you will, through partnered relationships with payers or morphing payers such as Aetna, who's much more than just a traditional payer, they can create a glide path that enables a transition from, you know, i got to fill my beds to uh, proactive participation in the savings against the budget. That's right. And um, they have multiple ways that um, that they can supplement their fee-for-service economics, uh, you know, assuming that they, they don't migrate to capitation for some time, if at all. And those would include things like a care management fees and and uh, a share of savings, uh, and even the you know increase in business that comes up from expanding the patient population that you serve by creating your own private label health plan products, or when I say health plan products, your your ACO products uh, that you take directly to employers and exchanges. So they have multiple ways that they can um, that they can uh, benefit economically that that you know that keeps them healthy through this transition. So you've got a, there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, where do you see the the key levers? Are are they with, uh, for instance, as, as far as the ACO interest goes, is it with the Pioneer Group? Is it with the uh, Advanced Payment Program, where you've got primarily uh, uh, less risk savvy physicians engaged in the process? Uh, where is there any particular uh, series of levers here where you think you'll see the most uh, uh, the quickest level of change and engagement? Well, I think that the Pioneer Grant uh, and the MSSP program was a, 
you know, was a huge impetus to a lot of this. I mean, we we started um, with uh, Banner, for example. Um, we did, we had started with Banner with a commercial, um, a, a private label ACO opportunity uh, with them that we were working on together, and then they were awarded a Pioneer grant, and then this just uh, created a, a you know a tipping function where it was time to really more broadly engage. And because as you know, the revenues from uh, Medicare for more most health systems are are 50% or more of their total revenues, even though that it's a smaller percentage of the patient population. So once Medicare is involved and there's a path to, um, you know, forward and, and that, uh, and if they don't do it, they still have to deal with a lot of structural changes with, with Medicare, you know, pay for performance and, you know, the um, uh, episodes of care and, uh, and the penalties that come from, you know, for, from uh, not managing readmissions, et cetera. So, so the world is changing, and the opportunity to get involved in, in gain share and savings for the investments that you're, go, you're going to have to make anywhere, any, anyway, um, was an important stimulus in this. So, you know, I think that that was a tipping function, but I, I think also um, just simply the, you know, the the combination of the maturation of the um, the, the digital infrastructure in healthcare with the era stimulus funding. You know, the rush to get meaningful use dollars and and um, and implement uh, electronic healthcare uh, records in a way that they were, you know, that that was, you know, there was some economic incentive to do that, uh, given the fact that they were probably going to do that anyway because people conceptually understand that it's going to be necessary for the future of healthcare. That was another tipping point, and um, and I think just having a large uh, payer partner who was really willing to go at risk with these providers, saying that we believe in this future. And that we want to partner with you and make this future come true, and we'll do it in a completely payer-neutral way, and we will go at risk. You know, we Aetna, with you know our balance sheet, will go at risk alongside you, and uh, we'll pay for implementation for of a lot of the infrastructure components, uh, so that we're completely in, you know aligned in our incentives. So I think all of those were important elements that just came together uh, at the right yeah. time. And then that's amazing. You said the magic word payer-neutral. I mean, that's such an evolved level of thinking that uh, uh, I don't know that many people necessarily appreciate that um, in the manner that uh, it, it, what's different today versus back in the 90s, as an example. I, I so, think you're absolutely right. I think in the in the previous regime, the, the, the evolving business model for creating value in the payer side of the equation was, was trying to get deeper and deeper discounts with providers. So assemble local market share clout so that then you could, you know, negotiate uh, a lower unit price with the docs. And um, if you're wildly successful as a health plan, that you'll drive out every last nickel of profit from the healthcare system and then turn around and offer a very low, low price product to the marketplace. I don't think that's a sustainable business model because, you know, the provider organizations, um, you know, they need to have um, – um, um, money to uh, reinvest or to invest in the future of healthcare and IT services and you know care management, et cetera, and you can't achieve that by driving the unit prices down below the point where they're fro- they're profitable. So we felt that it really had to be a, a collaborative partnership where everybody was allowed to win in that, and that you know Aetna is the third largest health plan in the U.S. has vast capabilities, but you know it's a, it has very very broad national coverage, but the business model had never been to go very, very deep in a particular market uh, because we generally had historically served the, the large national plan sponsors. Uh, so our coverage was, you know, maybe 8 to 10% share on average across the marketplace. So we're, we're not really a threat to anybody in their business model, you know, that where, where they have market share dominance. 
Um, Aetna really had evolved through developing deep um, capabilities in, in medical management, care management, disease management programs, uh, technology infrastructure, and, and that's those are the capabilities that we brought to bear and we brought to the table with providers um, in, a, in, a, in a, a truly collaborative way that was uh, that was payer neutral. I mean, it's the only way that we're going to we're going to all collectively fix the healthcare system if we put some of these competitive differences aside. Let me ask you this: Why do you think it took so long for our collective industry, and by that I mean both payer and provider side, to come to the awareness? that our business isn't as simple as my revenues or your expenses and vice versa, that this really is an ecosystem in which we have mutual interest to find sustainable models. So, A, why do you think it took so long to come to that realization? And, and uh, uh, well, let me ask you that. Why do you think well, it took so long? Um, you know, I think that's a good question. I think the reason is that, it, you know, I think that there was there – was, uh, um, uh, there was a conceptual understanding of population health management back in the 90s that evolved out of the HMO um, experimentation, you know, that had gone on for a couple of de decades. And I think we we had a collective wisdom that that was a better alignment of incentives and it was more holistic and it it, it, it promoted health and wellness, which is where we needed to get to as a population. But we didn't have a lot of the tools and infrastructure in place at that time, whether both technology we didn't have um, incentives aligned properly. Uh, Medicare wasn't in it, and patients weren't engaged. Uh, and it, it took a couple of decades to work through all of that for the technology infrastructure and the internet to be laid down, and eventual, um, you know, evolution of understanding of Medicare and the decision to weigh in because we're facing healthcare growth that is is really going to bankrupt the country. You know, where where the unfunded uh, Medicare uh, mandate. It would be the fourth largest GDP in the world if it was a standalone country, where you know at 20% of GDP, um, it's just un unsustainable. Where you know that um, every airplane that's built, there's first um, uh, 30 or more million dollars of it for some of our large airplane manufacturers goes to paying for healthcare, and uh, uh, where the say China and Brazil don't have that, that that issue. It's just unsustainable, and I think the confluence of these. These forces, uh, you know, created an, an ideal time for this to occur, uh, and I think at the same time when we saw the healthcare uh, legislation and, you know, the uh, migration of, the potential migration of individuals to, ex to the exchanges, the migration of risk to the providers, it was pretty clear that the traditional indemnity insurance model of the 20th century uh, really was less relevant in the 21st century. In fact, um, probably a dinosaur, and that that we really needed to. Um, to change the model so that we could migrate towards population-based healthcare in partnership with providers and in, in, in partnership with consumers. And so the confluence of all these factors, I think, plus I think Mark's, Mark Bertolini's vision as a CEO uh, really, really galvanized us to, to take that bold step, and it's been, it's been paying off. So perhaps we're coming back to a managed care 2.0 or a managed care 3.0 iteration on what we started back in the 80s and 90s. How, how will the um, the acquisition, the announced acquisition of Cove um, Coventry Healthcare, affect the, the grand plan here? Well, I think it's um, it's beneficial to us for a variety of reasons. One, one it, it increases our depth and, and presence in the government um, in government uh, sectors of uh, healthcare. So, more Medicare and more Medicaid uh, depth, which means that we've got more value that we can bring to providers that are looking for, you know, for for more patients and and just more 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 girth in in, in dealing with their 
Medicare lives, it gives us um, broader geographic coverage, so it fills in some some uh, some geographic coverage uh, gaps that we had. It um, and it also uh, um, you know uh, uh, just provides us with uh, with more economies of scale. So I think it's all good. I would actually you know point you to to Mark uh, Bertolini and, and Joe Zabreski to to describe the details of the benefits there. Yeah, it's um, it's it'll be a while before that's part of Aetna, but um, we're looking forward to, to to examining the opportunity and see how we can, you know, we can we can drive the uh, accountable care uh, business further and faster uh, with that asset. Will will do, and I actually listened to their conference call, and uh, looks to me like there are enormous synergies there. Not the least of which is uh, the the uh, the. The genesis of Coventry, which was uh, you know second and third market tier oriented, and they did a lot of private label and joint venture development for local nameplates, as opposed to necessarily putting their their brand in the market per se. So it, it sounds like there's a lot of innovation there as well. So we're we're coming up on the end of the program, and uh, I was just wondering if you had any. Uh, 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 concluding thoughts: Are uh, ACOs here to stay, or do you think, as the naysayers say, it's too little, too late? Well, I think we're uh, we're building the airplane as we're flying it, and I think that we'll probably, um, you, you know, we'll, we'll learn uh, as we go and make tweaks and adjustments and so forth. But just given everything that we've seen, it, um, I'm, I'm absolutely bullish on uh, where the the future of healthcare is headed and uh, where this movement is headed. And um, so we're going to stay the course and uh, and uh, just go faster and deeper in it. Well, I, again, I want to thank you for your time. There's so much that you have to offer, and trying to fit it in 30 minutes is virtually impossible. Again, this is Dr. Charles Saunders. He's president of diversification for Aetna, and we chatted with him today about what Aetna is doing in the ACO and the PCMH space. We do this weekly on This Week in Accountable Care. Please join us next week, and thanks to everyone saying bye now. Thank you, Greg. Thanks a lot.
was when I ruled the world. 